This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Galder's Gazetteer, a book that adds advanced rules and raises money to fight cancer. And listeners like you, thanks for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 352, we're going to get a regular dose of rules, adventures, classes, and more as we look at the first four issues of Arcadia, the digital magazine from MCDM Productions. And we have an all-star stellar group uh, for this discussion. First up, you know him from the Tome Show News Desk, where he brings you all the latest in the D&D world. Uh, it's one of the few members of the Tome Show family who is ordained. Welcome back, Lewis Brenton. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. I didn't know there were any others. I'm fascinated to hear that story later. Uh, I think it was about five or ten years ago I was ordained in the Church of Life online. Uh, you know, I filled out a form and that sure, was it. Sure, sure. <laughs> so so yeah. that makes two of us, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll profess that my, my process was a bit more rigorous than I that. Imagine, yeah. <laughs> I imagine, yeah. I imagine. Yours maybe yeah. is a little more meaningful. Uh, and secondly, we have another member of the Tome Show family with us, probably the most talented member, if we're all being honest. He's a musician who plays trombone in orchestras and stuff, and he also helps out with some of the audio editing so Sam doesn't get buried under it all. Uh, he's here for one of his few non-editing appearances, although he's in many episodes that he's edited. He's he's the one who, <laughs> who makes uh, all of us sound really good. Uh, welcome back, Aaron Good. It's me. Hello. Thanks. For, I'm happy to be here. Uh, and for folks who don't know what Arcadia is, it's a digital magazine published under Matt Colville's production company, helmed by friend of the show, James Intracasso. And it features three to four articles per issue for about $7 each, or you can get uh, each issue if you're a patron at Matt Colville's Patreon for $5 a month. And it's very much in the vein of the old Dungeons and Dragons magazines or Cobalt Quarterly and some of those other attempts to be the successor to those old magazines. But before we dive further into that, I want to let everybody know about our sponsor, Galdor's Gazetteer. This is a product from Zipperon Games, available through DriveThruRPG. Uh, it gives advanced rules to sort of up your D&D game and then gives you like updates to classes and spells and adventures and all this other stuff to support those advanced rules so they don't sort of leave you hanging anywhere. You, you've got that, um, you know, all the way through to, to help you make it a reality. Uh, and this was done for somebody named Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence had cancer, wanted his character to become part of the D&D lore, and so this product was born and all of the proceeds from it go to cancer research. You can find links to in the show notes at thetomeshow.com to both uh, the product at DriveThruRPG and uh, Lawrence's story. The wizard Galder has traveled to many, many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a 5th edition D&D supplement that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions, and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus... Adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Galder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence, who was dying of a rare form of cancer, 
and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute. You can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at lawrencescampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. So, let's get started talking about Arcadia by MCDM. And I think it's worth pointing out, in in the interest of full disclosure, um, not only is this edited by friend of the show, James Intercasso, but I think three of the four of us are working from review copies that we received from them. Myself, Tracy, and Lewis, you're working from review copies as well? Yes, I am. Aaron, you you got your own. Are you buying them individually? Are you a patron? Uh, yeah, I'm a patron of uh, the MCDM Patreon, so I get, I get all of them uh, monthly as they come out for five bucks. Nice. Although they don't, they haven't come out exactly monthly, right? They they seem to come out yeah. like two months there on, one month off, something like that, or they they've missed one or two. Yeah, the first three issues came out in back to back months. They took some time off um, to reevaluate their like business plan or something, and they they put out some other content in that space. And then then the fourth one is their first one back on a monthly pace. And if I recall correctly, they said that was their plan was to run three yeah. three uh, episodes or three uh, releases and uh, and then evaluate. And mm-hmm. uh, seems like they've decided to keep on trucking. So far, so good anyway, right? Uh, and so this will be our sort of, I think, testing the waters, talking about it, seeing how seeing how they're doing so far, see sort of what we think about where they're at uh, and what have you. Uh, and I wanted to start off by getting, as a, in a sense of sort of getting sort of each of our perspectives, right? I, I wanted to ask some questions around that. And so I wanted to start by asking sort of, this is a Matt Colville sort of helmed project, right? James Intercasso is the editor. Uh, and, and Matt hasn't written, I don't think wrote any of the articles, but it's being published under, under his name. Um, he's, you know, working on it clearly at some, to some degree. And so I'm curious, what is each of our sort of experiences with, with Matt Colville and, and the world of D and D that he inhabits? Um, and I can start off. I, I am obviously familiar with him, uh, through his YouTube channel, um, and I subscribe to the YouTube channel, but I don't watch every episode. I'm not one of the big sort of super fans of, of Matt Colville. Not that he's not doing good work. Uh, I've read several of the things that that he's done. Um, just that, I don't know, my time is, is limited in 20-minute weekly YouTube videos. Uh, don't usually make it onto my priority list unless it's a topic that, you know, that I need to hear right now. So uh, what about the rest of you? I'll go next. I've got a so I I watch Matt's stuff on YouTube on a on a an occasional basis. I don't catch every single thing, mm-hmm. but I really appreciate the stuff he's putting out. Uh, I find him very clever and uh, and pretty funny. Uh, honestly, the, the the parts of his work that I've actually followed the most meticulously are not D and D related, but Dune related because mm-hmm. that's one of my one of my side fan interests besides D and D stuff. And, uh, he is, he is a fount of Dune knowledge. And, uh, 
when uh, the Dune games started coming back on the scene again, he he hit that pretty hard, and I followed what he was doing and the things he was talking about with Dune very rigorously. Yeah, so I know him more from that, and of course I've got I've got like a uh, his strongholds and followers book okay. and uh, probably some other things that he's done. I can't remember. You know, you know how it is. We we all have mountains of PDFs that we <laughs> that we own. Yeah. For me, um, I did back strongholds and followers, but a lot of that is because uh, my husband Fred likes to do stronghold stuff. So I was like, I have to buy this one. Uh, I don't have a lot of time for YouTube and other stuff over the last few years. Um, that's getting a little better. So I'm looking to get back into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But so so not a lot of uh, experience, I guess. So you're coming into this rel- with relatively fresh eyes. Yeah. Nice. And then, Aaron, uh, I hear you're a patron of <laughs> of, his, of uh, Matt Colville. So. Uh, yeah. Um I guess I wouldn't call myself a super fan, but whatever the level below that would be, I guess. Um, I've seen all the videos. I usually watch them like the day they drop. Um, I've got the strongholds and followers back there on my desk somewhere. Um, and I've backed the um, the kingdoms and warfare, the the, the next one. So um, and for uh, I often find myself attending his live streams. Um, so I guess, yeah, I get maybe. Maybe I am a super fan. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm certainly very, very, very familiar. How long have you been have been uh, patronizing? Um, so I d- didn't. <laughs> I've been patronizing him for a while. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been a patron of the, his uh, thing since Arcadia started, not before, but just when it started. Okay. Sorry, Jeff. You're the question asker. No, I was no, just curious. no, absolutely no. Uh, I am. Yeah. I am the least uh, qualified person to be asking anything. So um, I just do it. To, <laughs> I just do it to keep things moving. Uh, so yeah. so we all have uh, some. We have we have a, a range of sort of different perspectives and backgrounds with this work from mcdm i guess is is the thing um arcadia um feels to me a lot like as i was contemplating it today it feels a lot like sort of modernizing and and but trying to catch the lightning in a bottle that was the dungeon and, and dragon magazines that were published for for years for D by TSR and then Wizards of the Coast and then Paizo uh, under a license from Wizards of the Coast and then when they went their separate ways the magazines just sort of mostly died if you don't consider Dragon Plus to be the current incarnation of it um, and and there have been some attempts to sort of um, to recreate that magic before right Cobalt Quarterly uh was Cobalt Press's uh, effort to do a quarterly magazine uh, with a full spread on a on a regular basis, and they did it for several years before they. I think they eventually decided it wasn't worth the the effort to keep going. At least that's my my read. I didn't ask Wolfgang about why they stopped doing it. Um, and then, and I and I think um, there's been some others. I too. I think was it. Luke Gygax um, has had a magazine that they've been publishing as well. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. It's called Gygax Magazine. That, 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 yeah. that makes sense, yes. Yeah. Um, and, so I, and that one I'm less familiar with, but I'm kind of curious sort of where does this – where does Arcadia to you um, – how does it compare 
to those others? How familiar are we with with those others that came before? Uh, and I'm sort of curious where it, where it stacks up. What do you think? Um, so I have very little context for like the the genre that this is like a, a part of. Um, my only touch point for Dungeon was buying like a second hand used copy of Dungeon from a comic book store uh, well after the magazine went out of print. Um, and it was like a second edition one uh, that I, I poured through. Um, but uh, this is the first sort of incarnation of like a, a D&D, I'll, I'll say like a, a high production value uh, D&D zine that I've like, experienced. For me, um, I, I'm pretty confident I'm the oldest person in this conversation and maybe the oldest of all the different home show people <laughs> in general. I'm not positive about that, but I can't think of anyone older than me. Um, but, uh, so I, you know, I started playing in the early eighties and for me, um, there are no two more magical words to put together than the words dragon magazine. Uh, that is just that just saying that phrase conjures, it just casts a happiness spell on me. <laughs> just, just hearing that. And, I, there is no better endorsement than I could actually give for this material that we review that we read for review tonight than I have thought a good dozen times as I've been reading it over the past week or so that man sometimes it feels like I'm reading the old dragon magazine and uh, there's literally nothing more positive I could say about it than that like I, I could just walk out of this conversation now and and I've said the best thing I can say about it is it often made me feel like that. Mm-hmm. And man, for for sixteen year old Lewis standing in his local game store picking up the most recent Dragon magazine and thumbing through it before he bought it, man, that just, mwah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tracy, what's your background with the the predecessors? Uh, I have a bunch <laughs> of my brothers once <laughs> of of uh, Dungeon and Dragon magazine, and then obviously I helped. Uh, contribute to the 4e version uh the was it insider they called it uh online oh um did they put they did publish some some individual articles sort of pdfs on on dnd insider yeah um and then uh also contributed to cobalt cobalt quarterly so Uh i probably actually have more experience as a contributor than as someone who is consuming (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. so it's a different experience so and you, know, that is I, my experience. and you know, I didn't even think about it, but uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Ian World has a an attempted successor as well called Insider, uh, as I recall, mm-hmm. right? So, it, and it's interesting. Like, it seems, it feels like there's there's a, a hunger for this kind of material, right? Dungeon and Dragon went away, um, and it made Lewis very sad. Um, but <laughs> right, um, but that wasn't necessarily like it wasn't long after that that Cobalt Press said, "Okay, well, I guess if Dungeon and Dragon are going away, there's an opportunity for us to to, to jump in, right?" And they kept Wizards kept publishing online articles through through D and D Insider, and um, and then Ian World is is trying to do something like this, and and. Now MCDM is doing this, uh, and so it seems like you know it. It seems like it's a tough, it's a tough format to be successful in, 
Um, and I would, I would say for reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of the product, uh, it's a tough sort of industry to get into. Like I, I had similar experiences. I, I'm, I didn't start reading Dungeon and Dragon magazine, specifically Dragon magazine in the early eighties. Cause I would have, I was born right before then, but, um, <laughs> but I did start reading it and by the late eighties. I was reading it regularly and I had subscriptions by the third edition era. And I have a lot of the second edition ones that I just picked up at game shops or whatever. Um, and so I read a lot of dragon magazines, um, and really enjoyed them. They were, um, they were my go-to like, Hey, I've got a few minutes to do something and to read things and whatever in the era before smartphones and iPads. Right. Um, it, it was oftentimes bathroom reading and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and it was great for that. Right. I got, I got my taste of D and D that way, but, but the world has changed, right? We live in an era of smartphones, uh, and tablets and that kind of stuff now. And so I don't like if, if they, Went, if they went back and said, hey, we're going to start publishing Dungeon & Dragon magazine again, I think there'd be a lot of uh, old folks like like us that are like, yay, right? This is a return to my childhood. But at the same time, like if I had that subscription right now, I don't know that I would have the same experience with it that I had back mm-hmm. then because there's all these other sort of demands on my attention or distractions for my attention <laughs> as the case may right. be, right? Yeah. And there's definitely that part. And there's also the part that the industry has changed so much. And, and when I say industry, I mean like magazines, because it used to be that you didn't have online groups where you could go find a lot of stuff. You didn't have ads all the time um, for and the ability to look up what's coming out. So the magazine was got a lot of money through advertising uh, and other similar uh, types of things that could allow them to pour a lot into the product that a lot of the magazines say don't have and a lot of people aren't willing to pay the amount of money it actually takes to print that a lot yeah no that's that's right it, it's i begrudgingly admit that there is no place for a paper dragon magazine to show up in my mailbox these days but that makes me surly and makes me want to yell at people to get off my lawn <laughs> right <laughs> well while i say so you know it's yeah, it's it's not a viable thing because, again, when these magazines were coming out, especially like in the 80s and early 90s, there was no Internet. There was no other source to get this information. You know, this is how you found out about the game. Honestly, I don't even know. And I thought about this as I was reading through these issues that we're talking about um, in this uh, this discussion here. And, and I don't know. In a lot of like a lot of the things I loved Dragon Magazine for had nothing to do with the information in the magazines, right? Like, uh, and I thought the same thing as we were reading through these issues. I think it was issue one and issue four, for example, have these um, more detailed rules for mounted combat, for mounted play, yeah. right? And that's the exact sort of thing that they would have had in a Dragon Magazine that I would have been like, this is super interesting. And then never done anything with. Because who's going to remember that that specific <laughs> yeah. issue of that magazine has those rules that you need at the time that you need it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so – and, and, and I feel this – honestly, I feel the same way looking at this, right? Like there's some really cool stuff there for mounted combat. There was some really cool stuff there for um, – there was there underwater combat in issue two. Um, and then um, – 
you know, these sort of alternate rules or deeper, you know, more specific rules or detailed rules or whatever. Like, it's the kind of stuff that it's like, hey, that's cool. And I enjoy it and it's well done and it's well laid out and the art is fantastic. And am I going to remember that it's there at the time that I need it? Right. But it's at, in the, in the, the eighties and nineties, like you were talking about, it almost didn't matter because I was engaging in a hobby. I was engaging in my community. I was reading this content. I was getting inspiration for it. Even if I didn't remember that stuff was there, I was engaging my brain with this hobby that I was interested in. And I was reading the letters from people across the country and, and feeling like I'm part of that community. And, and, and all of that stuff was going on. Um, and now there's other ways that I'm doing that. Um, so I'm curious, sort of, this the Arcadia seems to stack up well, I think, to what was done in the days of yore. Um, but is it serving the same purpose? Because as Tracy pointed out, we we have other ways of engaging in in our community now. Yes, certainly. Um, that there's, I think, the only community aspect of Arcadia is it's sort of like a a badge per se that someone might say, oh. I'm like on the Patreon. I have Arcadia. I'm in the Matt Coville community, right? Um, because as you say, Tracy, like uh, the the community aspect is no longer bound to the the old magazines, right? But it's like Twitter, Facebook, what the, that thousand, right, of these places. Um, so uh, Arcadia, perhaps some some might say that it's um, it's all killer, right? There's there's none of the filler, even though Jeff, you described it as the filler, kind of being the killer for you uh, <laughs> back in back in the day. Um, so yeah, it is interesting to see um, this like different take on it. It's cool. We do have like a group of people that have bought into wanting to bring things into reality uh, in terms of the Patreon, and other folks obviously that buy it outside of that. So you have that community there that isn't the same type of community that you would have had with a magazine, particularly where for a long time, a lot of the magazine stuff came from average. Like it was great. People bought it. The people needed to buy it in order for the advertisers to pay the money. And, but that's where the money really came from. Not a lot of times, not the subscription fee. Um, but here you have people who are like, I want to buy into this community. I'm paying for this already. That's where the money's coming from. And so that's, and they can have that community aspect outside of the magazine bounds but they can uh, spotlight really good content in a much and because like it's only about I think what four articles or so three or three issue. or four yeah yeah yep. so they can spotlight uh, content and I think that's part of the thing that they're doing too because I don't know mm-hmm. how much folks notice but if you looked at who's creating these this content this is not your average list of creators mm-hmm. and not from those same backgrounds right. So, uh, and the, even the artists had been, I love, I, I know we're talking going to talk about it later, but the cover to issue two is great. Yeah. Like, right. uh, and they're just bringing that sort of life to the game that I thought is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. No, there is a, there is a very, and knowing, knowing James, who's, who's the editor for, uh, Arcadia, uh, the way I do, I, I know for a fact that there is an intentionality to bring, uh, diverse voices and, and people working on Arcadia that, that I really appreciate. Like a big, a big part of what, of the value, I think for the company, for the game of Dungeon and Dragon magazine is that it was a chance for TSR and then Wizards to sort of test out Authors, right? Give give somebody an article, let them let them write a little thing, see how it goes, 
Um, you know, uh, but it's not a big commitment, right? We're not giving them a book. We're not giving them a chapter in, in a big hardcover or whatever, right? It's a, you know, let's, let's, let's give them this article assignment, see how it goes. Or they pitched it to us and we'll, you know, this sounds good. Let's let them do it and see, see, see if they can hit a deadline and, and, and turn in quality work, right? Um, without the magazines, that angle has gone away, but they have other ways. You know, they've got DMs Guild and they've got people publishing their own stuff that they can sort of find people from pretty well that way. Um, but even then, I think there's a tendency that, that certain voices drown out um, other people who maybe are worthy of, of attention. And, and I think what they're, I think they're very intentionally, I think in Arcadia, trying to, to find those voices and help them not be drowned out. Right. Um, and so, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm, uh, appreciating and enjoying that as well. We're getting some different ideas that I'm not used to seeing as much. Yeah. I think, I think you've made a good point They're They're doing a good job of platforming some lesser known, because that's the first thing I did. Every issue was scan the names to see whose name I recognize, because I mean, we're we're all D and D super nerds, so we know a lot of names, <laughs> you know. What? So, uh, uh, but yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe just me, but I bet yeah. you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not a D and D super nerd. The guy who started this podcast almost fifteen or over fifteen years ago. That's right. <laughs> Is currently wearing a D and D shirt. What? Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I that's the first thing I did. Every issue I cracked was scan that list of names to see what names popped out at me. And there were surprisingly few. And that's I think that's great because, man, this world is full of very smart, very creative people who just need a need to get their foot in the door. And this is a great way to do it. And one of the things I really appreciated about it, which unfortunately has little to do with it. I mean, it's not unfortunate, but in some ways has less to do with the content, although I like that part too. But the fact that this is real production value, because one of the issues I've often seen when we try to do that diversity of voices, and I don't want to make, I don't want to say this is only about diverse voices, but it is a key component to the intentionality of what's going on, uh, is the production values there. There's a group of play testers who are actually play testing the, the stuff that's being written and, and contribute it. Um, they're doing a really great job in layout you're paying for artwork, uh, and it looked like the editing was 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 done really well. Um, and so all of that together means that not only are we giving that platform, but it, it's not low, it's not a low rent or anything sort of situation. Like they're going to be able to shine. Um, and as much as I love content and stuff like that, I don't currently um, have a game I'm running, so I, I can't use it in that way. But I, I love like that was what I saw right away, and, and I just loved it. Yeah, I think Arcadia, like it kind of stands, um, and maybe there's other uh, things like this, but it sort of stands, as you said, Tracy, having these really high production values and like paying its authors quite well. I think they get like 25 cents a word, um, which I'm I'm not in the industry, but I understand is quite high. Um, So, uh, and I guess they they pay for rewrites too, and we'll... (laughs) But yeah, we'll often ask authors to write extra if they feel the article needs something. They will commission more words. Um, so uh, it's cool that the MCDM has the resources, thanks to this like big community Mattis bill, to really treat the freelancers very well. Um, at least as far as I gather. 
Well, and I think one of the I, I was thinking about it because, like, like we've sort of talked about earlier, this is an industry, the magazine industry, right, is, is an industry that it's been very difficult for for people to do D&D magazines since Dungeon & Dragon went away uh, and make it successful. But I almost feel like there's a different tack to this entirely, that this isn't them trying to publish a magazine. This is them having added value to those people who are patrons of what they're doing, of the company, right? Uh, and so it's it's more about like, we have this community, they are supporting us, let's do this thing that gives them sort of a monthly reward for them allowing us to sort of do the work that we're doing. And that's, I think, a different approach, right? Because you're building the community first and you're letting them support the work as opposed to trying to sell them a thing. Yeah. And the and it's not the same aesthetic as a lot of zines, but it has that same sort of feel to me uh, in terms of the community part and what they're trying to accomplish through it. Although it very much, I mean, it very much felt, feels like uh, somewhere between Cobalt Press and and Dragon Magazine in terms of the layout and the aesthetic um, to me, like um, both in production value, but it, there seems to be an aesthetic that they're sort of trying to match. Although they're, they're also leaning very heavily into the fact that they are, or not heavily, but occasionally you'll see them leaning into the fact that they are not primarily trying to publish a print magazine right so there there was a an adventure in issue two or three where there was hey and here's a link play this song for your players right and you click it and it, and it opens up a little audio file right uh, and at the end of each issue there's like a, a, a page of links to resources like here's here's the various versions of the maps that you might need for this adventure or, or what have you uh, so so they're recognizing that like we are not a print magazine we're not trying to do just a digital version of a print magazine we're trying to lean into a little bit the the things that make digital publishing different uh, and make that that work well now that does that also leaves me that leaves the the guy who still has boxes of um, old articles that I saved from Dragon Magazine, right, uh, in my storage room, uh, leaves me that area leaves me a little worried because I'm like, well, wh- what happens if this goes away? And in 20 years after that, and I want to find that, that I want to run this adventure, and now the links don't work, you know? So, um, <laughs> but in the meantime, I mean, I think it's it's brilliant to, and a great idea to sort of lean into the fact that you are digital, and, and that means you can do things differently, and you should do things differently. So there are four issues now into this project with issue five, I imagine, coming out any week now. Um, they missed the one month in there. Uh, I've, I'm not a patron and I don't I'm not, a, you know, I don't follow what's going on with MCDM very closely um, other than the occasional emails I get from from James. That's the that's the advantage of of being friends with the guy who's editing arcadia right <laughs> is that occasionally i get emails from james to let me know what's going on and and send me review copies of things um but so i was a little worried at one point like well if they're gonna go like two months on one month off and it's and, and you know kind of like is the way it looked after those first two or three issues I was a little worried that like being a patron and just buying each issue as it comes out is basically coming out the same, right? Uh, but it sounds like if that was just a one-time sort of blip, 
um, you know, as they as they adjusted their workflow and, and got used to what they were doing and what have you, um, then then being a patron at five dollars a month means that you get this. Otherwise, you have to pay seven dollars to get it. Um, you know, uh, and they've got hopefully they got the kinks worked out and what have you. So four issues in, have you seen? An evolution? Have you seen a change compared to you know an issue four versus issue one? Um, what have you What have you noticed as they've progressed? I mean, that's not a lot of time to to change and grow, but what have you noticed in the in that short time? Um, I can't say that there's been much change, honestly. Um, I, to me, in a way, it, it's kept a fairly high standard um, in uh, almost all the categories uh, going forward. Uh, they. They, they, they took a break after the third one to, to sort of evaluate things, but I don't see any drastic changes with the fourth issue. Um, the cover art's still great. The price is the same. The layout is basically mm-hmm. identical. Um, I don't know what they changed, but uh, it's not perceptible to my, to my vision. Sure. The only thing I've noticed so far, and again, I read these over, the, over a relatively short span of time, not from January to May, like a, like a uh, subscriber would have. But uh, the first issue about the only weak point I saw in it was the titles sometimes weren't as descriptive or the subti- and, and were lacking subtitles. And they were kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe burying the lead. Like I'd be a paragraph in and not know what kind of article I was about to read, which felt off for a magazine. And I thought, I wonder if someone talked to them about that and they fixed it. And then by issue two, that was already changing. <laughs> so uh, so I saw that. But, yeah, the overall quality, yeah, I don't see any drop off at all. Now, uh, James in his in his editorial uh, or his editor's note at the beginning of the most recent one made the comment that the feedback they've gotten is that what people are least interested in is the little micro adventures. Uh, that's the least thing they're looking for. So I, I think they'll, they'll continue to adjust, you know, and call audibles as they get feedback from the community, which is, again, the great strength of this sort of an environment that we live in now where you can have almost instantaneous feedback from your community. And since you're not physically publishing, you can make changes much, much more quickly. Uh, but uh, so, you know, I found those articles very useful, but I understand why why some people would not uh, because some people who are like I don't usually write or write my own stuff. I mostly run pre-written stuff, but I could see ways to stick some of those little micro adventures in some of the narratives I'm doing. So I still found them helpful. So so yeah, no, I I actually really like the adventures that are in there. Um, I kind of don't hate having more of that, uh, and and I don't. Just like the old Dragon Magazine, I never I, – I got an occasional dungeon, but I didn't read a lot of dungeon back in the day. Um, I did get all of the Kobold Quarterlies. Um, I, I find that the usefulness almost is irrelevant um, because I'm not going to – for the reasons I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to remember what's where when I, when I want it, right? Unless – I see an adventure or I see a thing that's like, oh, that's going to be useful for me next week or, or next month in my game or whatever. Uh, but my players are all high level and even MCDM is not publishing high level content at this point. So, uh, so here I am not, not getting much use out of it. Uh, but I find it to be great sources of inspiration. I think there's a lot of fun ideas. Uh, uh, DM Nell in the chat wants to know what all is included. Uh, what's being, what kind of content is being published? It, uh, is it new monsters, new rules? 
uh, fiction adventures. It's most of those. There's not, I mean, there's little fiction blurbs on some of the articles, but there's not really fiction. Uh, otherwise, but it's new monsters. Yeah, not, not fiction like the old in the Dragon yeah. Magazine days. But, yeah, yeah. There, but there's new uh, there's new monsters. Uh, there was the 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 elementals that were sort of um, new. There was it four new elementals that were based on the the periodic table of elements, um, which I thought were really fun and clever and interesting. Uh, and, and I couldn't in my head I couldn't get past the. Yeah, but that's not how the elemental planes work. Where do they come from, <laughs> right? <laughs> because that's where... The elemental plane of Argon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's my hang-ups, right? Um, there's new or expanded rules for mounted combat and underwater exploration. Um, there was been, in the four issues, there's been, what, two maybe adventures and one sort of adventure location. Um uh, and so, yeah, and, and then and then they also asked if if it's focused on strongholds and followers. Um, I I have never looked at a copy of Strongholds and Followers, and I follow the magazine just fine. So there you are. If you can handle reading Wizards of the Coast stuff without knowing about the Forgotten Realms, um, then this is an even or Cobalt Press stuff without d- digging into Midgard. This this is more generalized than that every now and then you'll have an author who references sort of a setting that's that's connected to the world of matt colville i think um but it's not heavy-handed yeah i think i feel like that's mostly in like flavor text well we would have called it flavor text if it was in in italics at the bottom of a magic card i don't know what you called in a magazine setting no that's about that's (laughs) about uh, right yeah yeah yeah, no, em- Emmerich Allwatcher in the chat it, it points out something that I've oftentimes thought uh, about going back all the way back to Dragon Magazine. Like if there was some sort of index, if I could just buy a document or in the modern age, if I could have a website that says, here's all the adventures, here's all the monsters in MCDM and, and what CR they are, a little bit of a little blurb about them and where, what issue you can find them in, that would be that would be killer. So so James, if you are hearing or watching this, uh, you know, make that that happen i know you've got the the pull that's right that's right yeah i think they plan to do um like yearly hardcover compilations which could maybe uh, alleviate that a, a smidge but point still stands but yeah i mean I'll, i almost don't want a compilation of all of the issues i want you know a compilation of here here's you know, every two years Here's the MCDM monster manual of all the article, all the monsters that were presented, and here's uh, the the anthology of all the adventures. You know, so I can just have those books organized in that way. Uh, do they use Colville's action-oriented monster stat block? Stat block. I don't know what that is, so some Aaron might have to tell us that. No, um, the the Colville action-oriented stuff I think is being like sort of reserved for an upcoming MCDM monster book. Um, there is relatively little of that. If so, if you, if you really dig that design, um, there isn't much of it here, mostly because Matt's not writing any of it, right? Like his design doesn't really permeate the stuff. It's his sort of like aesthetic and like vision more. And the, the content is from all the, uh, all the freelance authors. Yeah, and I guess we don't know what his involvement is or isn't, um, um, so, so yeah, so there, there's that. Yeah. So, uh, and I find that that's, that's consistent. Like I've seen that, I don't know. When I look at the adventures, 
that are that are published in in these um, like they have slightly different formats, right? The thing that comes first is a little bit different. The you know whether there's a synopsis of the adventure may or may not be there, uh, and I'm not sure. Like this is the way things are going anyway, right? Uh, uh, Candlekeep Mysteries that Wizard of the Coast published was the exact same way. Each author is sort of organized things and wrote things the way they wanted to and wizards didn't like force them to fit into a a specific template too rigidly uh and so there's a part of me that's like well that's good let the author write in a way that's going to work for them uh but there's also a part of me that's like yeah but when i'm skimming through a a bunch of adventures like i want to be able to know where to look and what how much i need to read to sort of get a a glimpse of whether or not this is a thing i'm going to want to use uh i don't want to have to and when it's in a different place every time that can be a little tricky as well so uh and that might be a little bit similar to to the conversation that that aaron i think mentioned with the the stat blocks and um that the authors are sort of doing their own thing with with a lot of that right Mm So I don't, and I don't have a solution because I like the idea of authors doing their own thing, but I also um, like being able to find stuff quickly because it's all in the same place. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I wanted to ask then. Um, let Let's take some time. What is our favorite thing that we saw in these first four issues? What stood out to you as particularly good? Well, I'll go first. Um, for me. Uh, Honestly, I think the most valuable thing in the sense that it's very likely to trickle into my 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 game table life is actually the mounted combat stuff that there that there's an article from Willie is this last name pronounced Abiel? Does anybody know? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. That's, that's um, is it, okay. Yeah. Uh, in issue one and then there's a kind of a sequel to it in issue uh, four. And uh, I found that incredibly profitable because I felt it felt like they spotted a kind of a crack in the rule structure of D and D that needed some filling in there, and they they put some useful material in place. Uh, the aerial combat stuff uh, in issue three was pretty good, pretty good as well from Sam Manel or Manel. Um, but it, it's a lot more complicated, and I didn't have the time to read it as – if we were only reviewing one issue of this magazine, I'd have really dug into that a lot more and tried to understand the system. But it had a lot more moving parts. But I was appreciative of that too because those are pieces of – because, yeah, most D&D happens with dudes running across the ground and swinging swords at each other and hurling fireballs. But, yeah – Sometimes we're, it's dudes on horses or sometimes it's dudes flying through the sky and that's good, you know. And the real innovation to me, I mean, the real sort of meat of those Mounted Combat articles, the ones in the one in one and four, right? Um, like the rules mechanics that they added to that was actually relatively small. Um, it was yes. basically like a keyword to certain creatures that they are mounted Um and then just sort of a, a brief description of basically of the action economy of, of when do they act and what actions do they get to do and, and how does that interfere or, or affect the action economy of the person who's on their back and, and what have you, right? Uh, but the real meat of it was – and now here's like four or five stat blocks for specific and oftentimes weird, especially in the second article, weird creatures that you can have as mounted. Um, that was the real – like – 
especially the second one, like at that point, we didn't get a lot of new rules. There were some new magic items for mounted combat and what have you, right? Uh, but it was like, but but here's how you can ride a, a what is it, boulet or a purple worm as a mount or whatever. Um, so it, although they the, the last little bit there was like, the the large sort of mass transit uh, purple worm as a as a mount was a weird little thing to add in. Like it's in the concept I've seen and heard before. Like even the idea of a purple worm that like swallows you and then and then spits you out in a different location. I've used that in my game before, um, but it's not really mounted. Like it's not. It doesn't really like it could have stood alone and been fine and had nothing to do with the rest of this article. I think too. It's not really sure, sure. a mounted mm-hmm. combat sort of. Um, mm-hmm. aspect. So, yeah, sure. I, I, I think I heard Matt say that that was sort of like a, um, or or Willie, um, who was the author, uh, sort of say that like that was a maybe preview of coming attractions. Those big like megalith mounts or whatever they're called, um, could perhaps be a, a third mounted article in the future. Yeah. So that was all off of my favorite thing. What that was, was, yeah, was Lewis's favorite thing. Yeah. yeah. Who, who else had a favorite thing? Tracy, what, what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, and I already did mention the cover of issue two, but I did uh, kind of like the Sam from the adventure in the first issue as well. I thought yes. that was a cool idea. Such a fun adventure. That was going to be my favorite thing, actually. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. No, that 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 adventure. That's why, like, um, I think it was Aaron who had said that, like, the thing they're looking for the least is the adventures, right? And yet, and and maybe this this is why, right? They're not. They're tell, they're they're maybe getting a lot of adventures, but they're only picking the cream of the crop uh, to publish. But like some of the adventures were some of the most fun things, right? I like the, the so the idea behind the Sam was basically it was it was how do you do a high fantasy D and D like rogue AI on the on the space station sort of adventure, right? Uh, and so the wizard's yeah. laboratory had become sentient, uh, and and um, now you've got to go in and sort of figure out what's going on and deal with it. And when it's all said and done, you can basically like download the, the laboratory or the building sentience into a, a, what was it like a shield guardian or whatever that, that you can travel with and whatever. Um, yeah. That sounds a lot of fun to me. And Sam stands for a structure for assistive magic. Yeah. I, uh, I ran a party through that adventure um, and it was really touch and go at the end, whether they were going to, uh, let Sam for free, or if they were too scared of the potential that Sam uh, could unleash upon the world. Um, well, so and these the, the the adventures they have are like little locations. Like this one was like here's here's a tower, right? There was um, there was a mystery one. It was an issue three or four, um, which was like here's an adventure that just sort of takes place in this one manner, right? And it's really. It's it's really a one or two session adventure. Like a, mm-hmm. they're short little things because it's a magazine, right? Um, but that's the exact sort of thing that I that I like. I've got a campaign. I've got this large meta arc in my head. But that's where like Candlekeep Mysteries or this kind of stuff really shines for me. Is like yeah, but but I'm at we're at fourteen, fifteenth, whatever level it is now what adventures can I sort of sprinkle in to add a little bit of variety and to have side quests or these other things that help the world feel alive because so that everything 
going on isn't all about this one sort of meta plot, right? Um, that's the, that's where these things really shine for me, and, and it's unfortunate that I, the, both of those adventures seemed a lot of fun and really interesting, and I would totally use them, except that that's not where I'm at level-wise, and I don't want to have to crank everything up like 12 levels to make it work, so... <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got my eye on that manor one. Uh, we're about done with our, our... My guys are in the, the mid... My guys, there's two two girls in there, one of them being my own daughter. <laughs> Sorry. My, my, team, my, my table, yeah. My table is... Uh, is about 13th level or so, man, but we're going to be wrapping up in about three or four more levels. And then we're going to start over at level one. And I've got my eye on that manor one already for, for, uh, sticking it on the side of the road somewhere (laughs) where we're, where we're going to do some stuff. That manor would have gone really well into the middle of, of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Like it would, it would fit fit like a glove in there. So anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, Yes, Aaron, what was you, what was your favorite? (laughs) Man, so there's so many good ones. Um, I think maybe one that I glossed over at first, but then in this review, actually went back and read it more thoroughly, was in the first issue, the uh, the Uquavial the Recreant uh, mm-hmm. article about those two super high-level angels and the, the drama between them. Um, and I think this is a good example of like the kind of article that uh, MCDM does where they give you the initial thing they promised – but then, like, in most articles, they also give you, like, and there's also this, and here's some stat blocks, and here's, like, maybe also an adventure, like, um, all in one article. I was super impressed as I was reading it of, uh, there's all these, um, the, the, A, the writing is really good, and it sort of outlines not just the characters, but, like, the campaign that you could play with them, uh, and, like, it gives you uh like r- role playing cues of like specific scenes that it would like ask you to like to to hone in on, um, which I thought was really useful. I see, I'm I'm a sucker for for angels, devils, demons, all that kind of stuff in my game. So, um, and I've got a a future descent into Avernus game coming up. I wonder if I couldn't go in there and, and stick those two angels in Avernus and have some a lot of fun with them too. I think mm-hmm. Uquavio could definitely be in a furnace. Yeah. He's all fallen and such. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That could be cool. All right. Now, now I've got it. At the same time, though, you do, um, you do get some of the, and, and this is both the, the beauty and the, the risk with things like this is that you, sometimes you also get like the weird stuff. Um, you yes. know, it allows them to experiment. It allows them to, to, you know, play with some things, you know, that, and that's where like the, the periodic element elementals came out. Uh, and, and they kind of work. I, I don't think I would make them elemental elementals. I would make them like some sort of magical constructs or creations, uh, or guardians or whatever, you know, and, and they would work really well just because I can't break my brain around the inner planes and the way they are constructed in my second edition brain. Um, but, but at the same time, like then there was the one, I think it was in issue four, there was the article with like the three or four new races uh, or, or ancestries, I guess is the name that they're moving towards, right? That were all like dream based. And so there's like um, an ancestry where, where you know, or ancestries that, that are the people that, you know, that put br- dreams into people's heads or that can go into people's dreams uh, and manipulate them and, and all kinds of stuff there. Uh, and there's a lot of 
weirdness there. And, and I think like a character with something like that would be interesting, but like three different races tells me like you could end up with a bunch of different characters doing these weird things. And that would, that would be a, a, a strange little uh, adventure. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't think it's poor. I don't think it's poorly done. And I think it's super creative. Um, it's just weird. And I think that's part of the the coolness, right? Like, I, I, and I think the Tracy, you mentioned the covers, um, and I think the covers like say a lot about Arcadia and the fact that they're like they're big, they're bold, they're bright colors. Um, they 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 show like different kinds of like people and like different settings, and so it sort of primes you for like there's going to be some weird like off the wall stuff in here, and like that's the point, right? That's why you would pick it up to buy something different. It does. It does bother me a little bit sometimes so like there was one of those races was um like people born from the dreams of aberrations right so when, yeah. a, be- when a beholder dreams it creates a beholder being or whatever uh mm-hmm. and and it has like tables of here's this weird aberrant thing about you like your your skin is see-through or your organs are external or you know stuff like that um and then they ha- and they have this beautiful art uh that is clearly an aboleth humanoid uh pictured there and the thing that bothers me is that um the list of potential things that you can have as weird co- sort of cosmetic changes based on your aberrant background don't include any of the things that would make that cool Aboleth character possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, clearly you could just make it up and say that's what I am, but like, I don't know. In my head, I, I wanted there, I wanted the chart to 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 point me to what do I have to roll to get the three eyes and look like an Aboleth, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> and who's to say perhaps that's like a, a pipeline thing that they're working out right. in the coming issues so it, and, and, it, and it very well i mean i i don't know what the workflow is but i feel like there's a quicker turnaround like wizards of the coast is working on like they're writing stuff well in advance of publication and they've got art orders uh they got time for art orders in between or or what have you after things are written and and what have you uh, i imagine that there's a quicker turnaround on something like a magazine and so um the art orders and the writing are often i imagine are happening more or less simultaneously um so it's harder to sort of coordinate that it doesn't bother me to the point that like that's bad, right? It, it, it's just sort of one of those niggling things. It's like, ah. <laughs> uh, any other things that, that stood out to you as either being particularly good or things that maybe were concerns of yours uh, as you read through it or thought about this as a format? What do you think? Two good things. First of all, the the article you mentioned about the, uh, the Sleepkin uh, – What's the what's the word we're using instead of races now? Again, I'm sorry. Um, ancestries. Ancestries. Thank you. Uh, the the sleepkin ancestries. Um, the art for the sand speaker is stunning. I I don't know who did that, but I want to buy them a pizza. <laughs> Whatever that was, they 
you know, I just I immediately understood what they were going for with that art because it reminded me instantly. Because again, I'm old enough that I played with marbles as a child, you know, <laughs> uh, with my buddies out in circles of dirt, you know, and things like that. And uh, the the glass marbles that had the swirls of color inside them these days. The young kids do it with dice now, <laughs> but uh, but I immediately understood what the artist was trying to do there, and it is just a beautiful, creative piece of art. And uh, man, high five to that artist, whoever that was. But uh, secondly, something we haven't mentioned that, but, but I thought that was incredibly helpful and useful was uh, in issue four, uh, four, yeah. Um, I've got the table of contents here in front of me. The uh, just the small collection of on the road encounters by Derek Ruiz. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. super fantastic. Because man, your characters are always going from point A to point B. You know, and uh, I mean, and random encounter tables have existed since the beginning of time, <laughs> you know, and uh, these are some nice little structured non-random encounters that you could just drop in of as you're walking down the road, you turn the corner and this, right? you know, those are basic. No, I, I, th- I thought the same thing. Um, that was in my, in my contention list for, for favorite things was that because that is, you know, it's not an adventure, uh, whatever, right? It was like, what, Three or four, um, basically the random encounters Five. that aren't random. Five, uh, uh, and again, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is super cool, and I'm not going to use it because my my current campaign is way higher level than that. But, um, but like if there was a book of these organized by level, um, so that I didn't because random encounters kind of suck. Um, but at the same time, you like to make the world feel alive. So you want to have something happen like, you know, and the world is alive or like, I felt like I had to do the random encounters when I ran out of the abyss for at least a while, because like the underdark is supposed to be dangerous. If you can just go from place to place and don't run into anything trying to eat you, then, then why does everybody stay out of the underdark? Right? So you need to have some kind of encounters, but I like these that, that are a little more interesting, there, you know, you could spend half a, you know, some of these you could spend up spending a whole session sort of dealing with and exploring and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a little more intentional, a little more unique. It's not just you know we're on our way and bandits popped out. No, no, no. There's actually a few of them where, where you're on your way and there's a caravan that keeps getting hit by bandits and they're asking you for help and now you've got a certain amount of time. Lay, you know, you're outnumbered, but you can you can build the battlefield the way that, that you want to, to see if you can pull it off. Right. Or there's a group of bandits, but are they, or it's not bandits, but maybe they are, you know, and then uh, little mm-hmm. things like that, that, that it's not just this standard, like you're going down the road and, and big bad monster jumps out of the trees to attack you, um, which is boring. And yet sometimes that's what I kind of end up defaulting to. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. An owlbear uh, attacks. Right. Or, uh, so yeah, no, I love, I, I I like this too, and I I want a whole hardcover book of it, and I want it organized by level so that when I'm going through, you know, they did the similar, uh, and uh, I think James actually worked on some of these, like for the the hardcovers that Watsy put out on DMs Guild, they'd put out like uh, encounters of in Avernus and and encounters in in Waterdeep or whatever, right? Um, and some of those I think are better than others, but like the Avernus one, like I would just go through when 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 I was running Avernus for my kids. Uh, and they were going from place to place. I'd be like, "All right, 
Well, let's roll a d20 and see if you run into anything that you can't just flat out outrun in your war- infernal war machine, right? And then I would just go through that list. I wouldn't even bother rolling half the time. I'd be like, ah, that one looks kind of interesting. And, and, and I'd just kind of use them all one at a time. Um, so yeah, more of that. I agree. That was a really long, that was a really long winded way to say, Lewis, you're smart. Good job. <laughs> you know, I, I would, I would look at the MCDM folks around the eye and say, Hey, bring, bring Derek Rees back every three issues for another article, just like that, you know? Um, and just keep doing that because that's a super helpful tool. Yeah. Uh, Perhaps worth mentioning too. In that article, there is at least one of the encounters that has no combat at all. It's just a, a you meet a cool NPC, um, which I think is also like worthy and super useful. So my only real concern um, with this is the same as my concern that I have with a lot of you know I, I, I'm I'm in higher education, right? So so I have academic journals that I that I get uh, and what have you. Um, and I prefer everything digitally. I don't need paper copies of anything ever. Um, but there is a workflow of, okay, that means now there's a new issue out. I have to go to the website. I have to log in. I have to download the new issue. I have to put it in my Dropbox and then I have to import it into Goodreader on my iPad to read. And it's just several steps before I can read, uh, which is not quite as convenient as, Hey, the new Dragon magazine is here. Let me stick that in my pocket and carry it around until, until I get a moment to, to look at it a little bit. Right. And so that's my concern, uh, for me personally. I don't know, um, if, if this is the kind of thing I'm regularly going to fit into my sort of daily life workflow, if you will, um, to be able to have easy access to it all the time. But I don't know. Um, lately, I mean, I've been getting review copies from James and those are real easy because they're just direct links to download and I stick them exactly where I want them. <laughs> but One of my concerns, and it goes a little bit to the question uh, Marcus uh, Bird 27 asked about like, what, what would we like to see in Arcadia to set them apart? And it is a little bit of that interaction with the community. Um, and one of the things I'm thinking of when, when I, uh, I'm talking about it is, uh, the comic, uh, bitch planet. And they had this whole thing in the back where you would get letters from, uh, people that read it. A lot of times it was like, uh, fan art. Uh, they would do an interview with someone out in the community that, you know, maybe had an outlook that was, uh, went along with the, um, story that was in that particular issue or something like that. And it was cool because that stuff you actually didn't get when they necessarily, when they compiled it into the, uh, I forget what they call it, the market book or, or something like the that. Trade, the um, trade paperback. The trade paperback. Yeah. Uh, so you had it like, as you got the issues is how you got that content. Um, but there was a lot of people talking about the stuff that they saw in the issues uh, and building that sort of community that lived on past whatever happens to be where we are in online message board, just like that any particular day. Well, and I wonder if like, it's, it's just, it's the old school letters page that you're looking for, right? Um, well, but it's slightly different because the letters page often, it could deal with the content that happened to be in a former issue, like a previous issue, but sometimes letters in dungeon and dragon were more general. Um, uh, so I, I wonder if, if they're not trying to – if they don't envision the um, 
you know, the Patreon and the interaction on Twitter and the YouTube comments as, as sort of the fill in for that. Uh, but I get it. Like if you're not there in those places at that time, you, you aren't getting that engagement. Um, at the same time, I don't like one of the things, the articles are relatively timeless, but things like letters and comments and, and that kind of stuff oftentimes are very focused on that particular moment in time. Um, so I don't know that, I mean, I find myself looking at these things a year or two later and then just skipping, obviously, the the editorials or the letters uh, pages because I'm not in that moment of time anymore. And, and, and that could happen. Um, the other thing, though, is if, you're, if, if it's something that you keep reading and you want to know, like, okay, I saw this adventure. How did it actually play out at people's table who didn't, weren't playtesters or other stuff? Like, did people come up with a good idea for them? And if they curate that and then include it in, in the future issues, that could be cool. Uh, and it could go also to why people would want to open it in a timely manner, kind of like what you're talking about in terms of you don't always necessarily open your uh, journals from work, even though you know you should. <laughs> uh, we, we are uh, a good amount over an hour now, so I'm, I want to go on to sort of last thoughts. I think we've talked through these four issues pretty well. We've gotten people a sense of what's in there uh, and the value and the production quality and all that kind of stuff. So, so does anybody have any last thoughts, things that you, you noticed or that you saw, that you things that maybe you wanted to talk about but we never got to? Uh, anything else you want, you want to mention before we uh, wrap things up? Uh just super brief. Um, it, it, you you mentioned Tracy, but the community um, there is uh, at least for a few of the issues. Um, I think James has sent out uh, Patreon like notifications, uh, collecting a lot of the community stuff that's in, that's been produced um, from the issues. So while it's not in the issue itself, and that would be cool. That 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 is a great idea. Um, it does like kind of exist, but not like necessarily directly in the way that um, you had envisioned. Um, other, other than that, like as a final thought, uh, just like every article is great in its own way. Um, I could sit, sit here for as long as it would take and be like, and this article's cool. And this article's cool. Oh, this one's also great. Also. Yeah. I, I didn't um, see any duds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you were looking for cool, um, slightly off the wall, um, articles about D and D stuff that, more than the initial blush like jeff you mentioned the uh the elemental article i think the monsters are cool but the juice was at the end where it gave you this whole like yeah but here's how all the elementals can interact and you can sort of have this like legendary action kind of like economy with like three elementals all affecting each other um that's just like juice for encounter design the one of the the conductor uh, elemental and the electricity or electron elemental sort of got together. What kind of weird interaction would that have? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, I'll give I'll I'll say this in my closing comments. The art is fantastic. The layout is fantastic. They've made a beautiful product. And I actually want to yield the rest of my time to ask Aaron a question as a subscriber uh, who's who's been receiving the stuff as he's come along and as a Patreon. Uh, person um Aaron do you have any access uh to their pledge numbers and how much their pledges jumped when when uh these these magazines started coming out do you have any sense of that oh 
I uh, I do not know how much it jumped. I can tell uh, you their website check. says they have nine thousand two hundred ninety nine patrons. Yeah. Okay. So time times that by five, and that'd be their. I'm sure Patreon takes a cut, of course, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Patreon's yeah, cut is rel- uh, relatively small. Sure, because uh, I was one of the ones that jumped on for the start of Arcadia, mm-hmm. so I am part of that like bump. Sure, uh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm but, just I'm I'm curious about the perceived value in the broader gaming community of how many people went, oh, they're doing that, ching, <laughs> and uh, kind of push their chips in on that at that point. So it's like slightly interesting. It it a little bit touches on what you just said. Um, after the first three, they did like a survey of what people thought, um, and they found that like almost like 90% of their uh, readers were dungeon masters. Um, there were almost no players who, who, who read Arcadia. Um, so I think that's something they want to like try to course correct a bit. Um, or at least cater to the dungeon masters more who are, who are. Yeah. Reading. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. I would guess that that's probably true of almost every D and D product that's ever been published. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it quite surprised, uh, mad. He was quite sort of a gog by it in the live stream uh, where he talked about it, but sure. Yeah. I mean, other than players handbooks, um, most products are, dm facing or at least even the ones that that are here's a collection of optional rules like like at my table i'm the only one that has tasha's uh cauldron of everything and that's a primarily a bunch of player options or whatever right um but you know the dm gets it and then everybody else has access so (laughs) that's right all right any other last thoughts All right, then we're going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. We'd like to say thank you to Galder's Gazetteer, um, our patrons like Doug Palmer, Hyperlexic, James Delisio, Jill Sanders, and Leonard Pelletier. Those patrons are the ones that make the show possible. Without them, Jeff would be paying for the show out of his own pocket. So thanks to all of you. Uh, And we also want to thank our guests for the episode. Aaron Good, where can folks find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at T-Bone Doog. Um, I post mostly about like music stuff, but also some D&D. Uh, I don't do any industry industry things, so don't follow me if you want that. <laughs> <laughs> and Lewis Brenton, where can folks find you? Uh, the primary place is running around in the Tomaverse with some of these fine people. Uh uh, the best way to reach me is through uh, the Tome Show News specific Twitter, which is at Tome Show News, and uh, you can reach me and Tracy, who's one of one on my news team as well. Tome Show News. Sorry, we got to say three three out of four people here are directly involved in Tome Show News. Aaron edits, Tracy and Lewis uh, are at the news desk. So. All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of the show, you can email the Tome Show at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Squatch, S Q U A C H. Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic, Sarah with an H. Dark Magic with an M? I don't know um, where that would be confusing. Uh, you can also find uh, the show on Twitter. They are, we are at The Tome Show. We are on Facebook. We have a Discord that uh, you can email for, or if you go to that Twitter uh, account, The Tome Show, um, you'll find a link to the Discord there as well. Uh, we are on Twitch right now as we speak uh, with all those folks that you heard us talking about in the chat. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. I don't know. What else do we got going on? 
Is there a Tome Show Pinterest? Not that I know of. Instagram account? No. No, there's no Instagram. There used to be a a G Plus. Live journal? There used to be a G Plus. Tome Show carrier pigeons. And that's episode 352, where we got a little bit of everything for $7 an issue as we looked at Arcadia in this episode of... I'm on the wall.